Ladies and gentlemen, if you would please be so kind as to head back to your seats. Let me just say good morning to everybody who's here and those who are also checking us out online. If you are new, if this is your first time, uh, my name's Don. I'm one of the pastors on the team here at Grace. And if you are new, we're in a series this fall where we are teaching through the first three chapters of Genesis over the course of the fall. And uh, as we've been moving through these first couple of chapters and talking about the creation account, we wanted to take a couple weeks to drop into a couple of sort of sub-messages around this that I think flow out of this creation account and really speak to some of the, uh, the kind of controversial things going on in our culture related to both gender and sexuality. So today I want to look at the issue of gender. The message title today is just called Gender Identity. And we'll just be taking one key verse from our creation account, and that's Genesis 1.27 as our verse focus for the day. Well, it was the summer of 1976. I had just graduated from college, and I was in the process of seeking to try to find a decent job, uh, a process that would not go particularly well for the next year or so. But the summer of 1976 was also the summer of the 1976 Summer Olympics. And as a sports fan, I was squeezing in as much time as I could watching the Summer Olympics during the several weeks that they were taking place in Montreal that year. And I, I don't remember a lot. Well, I'm sure there were many memorable performances that I witnessed that were part of those Olympics. There was really only one name that would stick with me that I would remember long after those Olympics were over, and that name was Bruce Jenner. Bruce Jenner won the gold medal in the decathlon in those Olympics. And if you're not familiar with the decathlon, it is by far the most challenging of the track and field events. It is literally 10 different events, all that have to be performed. And it requires a diverse set of athletic skills from running and jumping and strength skills. It is the most impressive event of the Olympics, many would say. And Bruce Jenner not only won the decathlon, but he set a world record in the event that year. And his victory during that bicentennial year, 1976, literally inspired the nation. And for what he accomplished in those Olympic Games, he was declared the world's greatest athlete that year. And his, well, I, I, I didn't hear much about Bruce Jenner for years after those Olympics. Not until April of 2015, when Bruce Jenner publicly came out and announced that he was transitioning to being a woman. Now, when I heard that news, I, I mean, I just couldn't wrap my head around it. I mean, I, I had known a few transgender people in my life, but this was Bruce Jenner. And I couldn't fathom how this ultimate picture of American cultural masculinity, if you will, could come to a place to do that. 
but his public coming out as a transgender person would be a catalyst and a shot in the arm to bring the issue of gender identity front and center in an already shifting American culture. And in an interview with Diane Sawyer on ABC News, he openly shared about what led him to do this. And if you saw that interview, you couldn't help but feel the anguish, the pain and struggle he had gone through literally since childhood as he tried to reconcile these thoughts and feelings of not being the person inside that everyone saw on the outside. And in his own words, he came to a place where it was just so difficult, he just felt like he couldn't do it anymore. And you know, whatever your thoughts may be about the transgender movement and the gender identity issues that are influencing our American culture today, before we look more closely at these things, I really want to begin by appealing to all of us to consider these things with sensitivity and compassion. You see, it's easy for us to dismiss or demean or pass judgment on people who struggle in areas that we don't, particularly if those areas seem foreign or strange to our experience. But these are things that are painful and difficult and very real for people who are wrestling through these things. I mean, young people are trying to sort through their thoughts and emotions that are at war within them around their gender identity. Parents are grappling with how to help children and teens navigate through these gender identity struggles in their lives. And really, I think of all people, as Christians, we should understand the reality of competing thoughts and desires that are at war within us. It may not be in the area of gender, but what believer can't identify with the power of the flesh and the spirit at war in our inner being pulling us in different directions? And I would hope that of all people, we would have sensitivity and compassion toward those who are trying to sort through these things in their lives. And so today, I want to do a couple of things to help us look more closely at the issue of gender and gender identity. And first, I want to look at two different views of gender. I want to look at what the Bible kind of has to say to us about gender and then what the culture is saying to us about gender. And then secondly, I just want to consider two different solutions or paths for how one might seek to work through these things. And my hope is that this will help us understand what's going on in the culture better and also help us to be a source of hope and wisdom in how the Bible can speak to these issues in a helpful way. So before we do that. Let's ask God's Spirit to help us today. Lord, we come to you this morning. Lord, we acknowledge that you are the Creator God who made each and every one of us. And even as we've seen through this service already this morning, you made us special in your sight, and you have called us by name, 
And Lord, you made us in your image where we have dignity and honor and respect because of that. And so, Lord, as we look at these challenging, difficult issues and how we interact with these things going on around us, Lord, we just need your help. We need your wisdom. Lord, we need your heart so that we can, Lord, be faithful to you, but at the same time represent you fairly and accurately. And so we ask your spirit to come and fill this place this morning. Help me, Lord, to speak your heart and your truth faithfully and accurately and help each of us, Lord, to receive and hear and respond in whatever way you would call us to. And we ask this for your glory and the good of your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me begin with talking a little bit about two views on gender. And so to make sure that we're kind of understanding one another and that we're all on the same page with how we understand words, I want to begin with just a few definitions of terms that are helpful to know because meanings have kind of shifted over time and how certain terms are being used now. And so there are five basic terms, if you will, that I just want to kind of go through and define. And the first one is uh, sex. What is sex? And by sex, we mean the biological makeup or composition of a person. It's their physiological makeup that determines their maleness or femaleness and is defined by their reproductive capacities, etc. So that's sex. The next term is gender. What is gender? Well, gender is the culturally appropriate expression of your biological sex. It's the outward manifestation or expression, if you will, of your maleness or femaleness. And it is expressed in a culturally appropriate way. And what that means is, is expressions of male and female gender, they vary from one culture to another a bit. For example, in America, if you wore a skirt, that would probably not be considered a culturally appropriate expression of maleness. However, if you go over to Scotland, men wear skirts all the time. They call them kilts, and it is a perfectly masculine expression of maleness in that culture. So gender expressions can vary to some degree from one culture to another. Third term we need to know is gender identity. And gender identity is a person's self-perception as to whether they are male or female, masculine or feminine. It's how I perceive within myself my gender. Fourth word or term is called gender dysphoria. And that is when a person experiences distress or anguish or discomfort from sensing a conflict between their gender identity or their inner perception of who they are and their biological sex. There's a, a, a disharmony there. And then the last term is just transgender. And transgender is the state or condition of identifying with or expressing a gender identity that is different from their 
biological sex. It's choosing to live out a gender identity that is not what your biological sex would be. So just some terms that I think are helpful for us to understand. And so with those terms in mind, how does the Bible speak about gender? Well, as we've seen in these first couple of chapters of Genesis, creation is not some random, purposeless event or process. Every detail of this created universe has been carefully designed and crafted by the infinitely wise creator. And there's not one detail of it that isn't perfectly and successfully made. And God has a detailed blueprint in his mind for what he is doing in creating this universe. And human beings are the culmination, if you will, of God's creative masterpiece. And every aspect of how we are made has value and purpose. And God tells us in the creation account that male and female are part of this intentional, purposeful design. I mean, we, in Genesis 1.27, our key kind of text for today, it couldn't be more clear. It says, so God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so the differences between male and female, they reflect God's intentional design. And God himself affirms the goodness of this design. In Genesis 1.31, it says, And God saw everything that he had made, including human beings. This is after he created man. And it says, And behold, it was very good. And you see, in the Bible, gender and biological sex are always intricately tied together. To be biologically male is to be male in gender, and the same for female. And this reality is seen throughout the Bible in how men and women are different in the parts they play in reproducing. They differ in how their biological sex is expressed in cultural and social contexts. They're distinct in the roles they play in marriage. In the Bible, gender as the outward manifestation of what it means to be male or female, it attests to an embodied physical reality. And Jesus himself affirms this principle. In Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, as Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees around the issue of divorce, it says this, it says, He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So Jesus affirms that in the beginning when God created human beings, he made them male and female, and that maleness and femaleness is lived out and expressed in how they come together in marriage, how they reproduce children, and their 
they are unique and distinct in that. And it's interesting that on the end of that verse, Jesus gives us a little kind of subtle warning there. He says, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. In other words, what God does, people shouldn't try to undo. And so the Bible always sees gender and biological sex as being inseparably tied together. And there just simply is no scriptural category for the two to be separated where a person is one biological sex and a different gender. Because that would clearly seem to go against God's intentional, purposeful design. And if God is the perfectly good and wise creator and designer of humanity, then it would seem to make sense that to live in harmony with his design as much as possible um, would be wise if you want things to go well in your life. Because he himself tells us that that design is very good. So the Bible, as well as literally thousands of years of human history, would affirm the understanding of a natural link between biological sex and gender. At least until we get to the last few decades of American and Western culture. Because our current culture here in America is telling us something very different when it comes to gender. In the cultural view of our day, gender has become disconnected from biological sex. The current prevailing view holds that gender is not a function of biological sex. It is simply a matter of tradition or convention. Gender is a social construct, if you will, a set of customs and behaviors that one learns that has no direct connection to one's biological sex. And so think about it. When gender is no longer connected or tied to biological sex, one is free to choose whatever gender one would prefer. Or you can shift between genders or have no gender definition at all, if you like. And under that scenario, gender is defined by one's self-perception of what gender they think they are or want to be. And you are free to choose the gender or genders that suit your preference or your inward psychological reality. And so the binary male-female design that the Bible affirms that ties our biological sex to our gender is being increasingly rejected by our society today. And this shift in views is impacting education, government, business, just about every other area of life, including the church. And so it isn't difficult to understand why there is confusion around this issue and why the experience of gender dysphoria or confusion about one's gender is increasing in our day. See, the Bible and our culture, they give us two very different views on gender. 
And that brings us to the second thing I want to talk about, and that is two solutions to gender dysphoria. Remember, gender dysphoria is conflict or stress about having a different self-perception of gender versus our biological sex, being, having conflict around that. And so if you are someone who is wrestling with gender dysphoria, and again, I really want to emphasize these are real soul-wrenching issues in people's lives, usually not of their own choosing. I mean, this isn't something people who struggle with this typically ask for or chose. They just find themselves in the midst of these challenges. But if you're someone who is feeling the conflict and distress that can seem overwhelming in trying to sort through how to navigate through these challenges, or maybe you're trying to be helpful to someone who's struggling with these things, what are the options for trying to get to a better place? Well, someone who is wrestling with gender dysphoria is typically trying to find the answer to two key questions. Number one, what defines who I am? And number two, how can I be happy? What defines who I am and how can I be happy? And the culture and the Bible, again, give us two very different answers to these questions. The culture answers these questions this way. You define who you are. You can be whatever you believe you want to be. No one has any authority to tell you what gender you are or should be. You do what you want to do and be who you want to be. No. The way to happiness is pursuing and fulfilling your own desires and feelings. You do you. Be true to your inner self. Self-fulfillment is the pathway to happiness in real life. So do whatever you feel you need to do to pursue what you feel on the inside will make you happy. And boy, that sounds so good and right when we hear it, doesn't it? And if we buy these answers, the logical solution then is to try to bring your physical reality into harmony with your perceived gender identity. So we can try to do that. We can change how we look and how we dress to adopt our preferred gender. We can do hormone injections to try to make us more like the gender we desire to be. We can have surgeries to seek to reshape our bodies and our reproductive organs to try to become our desired gender. You see, the culture's answer is to give priority to your inner psychological reality and change your physical reality to come in line with it. And as attractive as this may sound, does it really provide answers to those key questions that work over time? Or are there some flaws in that line of reasoning? And I think there are. And I want to just raise kind of three questions that are worth considering about the, that solution to the issue. 
Number one is, are we really our own master, able to decide what gender we choose to be? Or is there really a creator God who made and designed us just the way he wanted us to be? You see, if he made us for himself, then we belong to him. And who has the real authority to define our gender, us or God? Now, that isn't to say that in this fallen, broken world we live in as fallen, broken people, that there isn't, it won't be confusion and challenges around these things as we try to sort them out. But if God made us with a purposeful and intentional design that he says is very good, and he is perfectly good, and for our good, perhaps the idea that our gender identity is our call isn't the road to happiness that it may seem. You see, if we try to live our lives outside of the way we were made and designed, things don't normally function well over time. You know, my mother told me a story once. Uh, she told me that when she was a little girl, she believed that she could fly. Uh, don't know, she didn't explain where that came from. She may not have known where it came from, but she really believed that she could fly. And she believed it so much that one time she went up and kind of jumped out of a barn or a building, I'm not sure what, but she jumped out of it because she believed she could fly. Well, fortunately, she wasn't hurt badly in that situation, but there came a real sober wake-up moment that despite what she thought in her inner psychological reality, if she tried to live in a way that wasn't in line with how she was made and designed, there were consequences. There was repercussions. Things didn't go well. Because you see, gravity is part of how God has designed this creation, right? And God has designed it according to certain physical laws. There are certain spiritual laws that are at work in our, in our universe. And so if I take a ball and I drop it, I can do it a hundred times, it's always going to go in the same direction, isn't it? It's always going to go down. Because gravity is a law that is at work with how God designed this creation. Now, as a human being, I have been made to function in harmony with gravity. And so as long as I do that, as long as I walk around, as long as I kind of keep that in mind and how I handle things, then things tend to go pretty well with me as far as gravity is concerned. However, if like my mother, I decide to go up on top of the church here and I say, I don't believe in gravity. I just don't want to buy the gravity thing. I, I believe that I can walk off this building and not suffer any consequences. Well, I will find that there will be consequences if I try to do that because I am living outside of the way that I was designed and made. And so I think we can have a similar kind of question here when it comes to gender. Living out of harmony with God's design usually doesn't work out well over time. 
A second flaw in that reasoning would be the idea that you can change your physical reality to come in line with your preferred gender identity. I mean, is that really true? So no matter how many hormones or surgeries you may get, the idea of changing your biological sex, I mean, it's really a fantasy. Your biological sex is not just defined by external organs and hormones. Male or female is defined at the very level of your DNA and chromosomes. Males and females have different chromosomes that shape how they are made and created and, and um, kind of develop. And no surgery or procedure can truly change your biological sex. And to adopt an approach that tries to do that, it introduces an inherent disharmony between your physical makeup and your psychological reality. And it may work for a while, but that disharmony will have repercussions and consequences in your life as time goes by. You know, one of the things that's interesting to note is that among the transgender community and those who embrace trying to be a different gender than their biological sex, the statistics show that the rates of depression and suicide and attempting suicide are much higher than the normal population. Now the culture would say the reason for that is because these people aren't accepted, they experience rejection, they, the responses that people in the world make to them are the reason why these rates are so high. And I don't doubt that that's a factor because those things can be difficult to deal with. But I just can't help but wonder, is part of the issue here because there is an inherent conflict and disharmony between who they are physically and who they're trying to be in the life that they live out. And then lastly, the approach to seek to change your physical reality to match your psychological reality regarding gender identity, if you think about it, is really somewhat unusual. In just about every other situation where someone is experiencing discord, between their physical reality and what's going on in their mind and inside them, the approach to helping them is always to work to bring their inner reality in line with what's true in the physical, real world. I mean, for example, if I, in my inner reality of my mind, if I believe that I'm Napoleon, and I'm someone's trying to help me, they're not going to tell me, well, what you need to do is you need to go out and buy a 17th century French military uniform. You need to get one of those little bicorn hats that Napoleon wore and wear that around and walk around with your hand inside your shirt all the time. I mean, that's not going to be the way that they try to help me. They're going to try to bring my mental reality in line with a physical one. Now, maybe you would say, well, that's just a ridiculous example, and maybe it is, but let me give you one that's maybe a little more real. Let's say you're a young person who's struggling with an eating disorder, anorexia, 
And in your psychological reality, you believe that you are overweight and that you need to lose weight. But in your physical reality, you weigh 82 pounds and are already malnourished. To tell someone in that situation, you just need to prioritize your psychological reality and you just need to live that out, would not only be cruel, but it would be damaging and destructive to that person. And so the culture's solution may seem attractive and appealing to our feelings and desires, but there are some real questions as to whether it leads to the answers we're really trying to find. Now the Bible and Jesus offer a very different path to work through these things and answer those two key questions. What defines who I am and how can I be happy? The Bible tells you that you were wonderfully made by a loving creator who designed you in his image specially for himself. You are not a mistake. Your gender is not a mistake. Your body and your gender were purposely given to you as a gift from God in his perfect goodness and wisdom. And when the fallenness and brokenness of this world that causes these kinds of struggles and confusion, when that separated you from him, he sent his own son to rescue you and bring you back to him to restore you to a loving relationship with him. See, God loved you so much and Jesus loved you so much that Jesus said to the Father, I will go. And he laid aside the glory of his Trinitarian divinity and the fullness of that. And he came into this world and took on a human body. And he walked through this world and lived a life characterized by being rejected misunderstood, a life of sorrow and grief, it says. He was accused of things that were untrue. He was treated poorly. And yet he walked through this life every day, resisting temptation, resisting the urge to defend himself, resisting the urge because he was set on accomplishing one thing, earning a perfect life of obedience to God so that he could earn a perfect righteousness so that he could give that righteousness to you. And if that wasn't enough, at the end of that life, he gave himself to hang on a cross in your place, taking your sins, all the things you've done wrong in your life, taking them upon himself, paying the price God required of those, his judgment poured out on him in your place so that he could offer you the chance to be forgiven and to be brought back into a relationship with God. And so, and he did this because he, he I mean, what kind of love would cause someone to do that. But 
That's the love that God and Jesus displayed for you. And so he, he calls out to you. He says, look, don't try to do this your way. Forsake, turn from trying to make it your own way, trying to pursue your own self-fulfillment. Come to me. Put your faith and trust in me. Put your hope in me. Let me lead you through this life. He came to redeem you so that you could be adopted into God's family as his beloved son or daughter. And so let me just ask you, if, if God would love you like that and do that for you, I mean, how could you not trust him to want your best and to be for you in this struggle with how you define your gender? See, Jesus promises that it's in him that you will find rest, even in the brokenness of this world. He says it in Matthew eleven twenty eight: 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He didn't come to make your life miserable, but to give you true life. He says it in John 10, 10, he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And the path that he invites you down, it couldn't be more different than what the culture is trying to sell you. He says it in Matthew 16, 24 and 25. It says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, Jesus says the true road to happiness is not found in self-fulfillment, but in saying no to your feelings and desires that would conflict with trusting him and following him. And it won't necessarily be easy all the time, but he promises that his way leads to true life. And he promises to empower you and walk with you as you seek to follow him and how he's made you? See, what Jesus offers you is, is so much better than anything the culture's way can provide. And he promises to work in you, to transform you and make you into a new creation in this life by his power. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that doesn't mean there won't be challenges and struggles because your old fallen human nature still lives within you as well. But it does mean that there is a new power to help you to walk with Jesus and follow him. And he not only promises to give you rest and abundant life in this life, but he promises freedom through the power of his grace. Freedom that gives the power not to be enslaved to desires and inner feelings that are damaging or harmful to you. 
Now, it doesn't mean there won't be temptation, doesn't mean there won't be struggles, but he promises through his life within you that you will not have to be controlled by inner desires and things that pull at you and that you will have power to be able to walk with and follow him. He said it in John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And if that isn't enough, you will have the complete assurance that the day will come when you will get a new and better body and gender identity struggles will be a thing of the past, never to recur again. You will spend the rest of eternity living out the perfection of how your loving creator perfectly and purposely designed you. There will be no discontent, no struggle, no confusion in that day. What defines who I am? How can I be happy? Jesus and the culture answer these two important questions very differently. Two very different pathways, two very different solutions. And so if you can identify with gender identity struggles, which one will you choose? See, the inner struggle of gender dysphoria, that's not a sin or wrong. The the conflict that goes on inside of us, that's not sinful and wrong. The question becomes, whose way will we choose to deal with the struggle? And so if you know someone who is struggling in this area, I, I hope this helps you just to be a source of grace and hope to them as they wrestle through this very challenging and confusing issue. If I could have the worship team come and join me. Well, there's much practical application and questions we could talk about that touch on this area. And most of that I'm going to leave for the Grace at the Table panel discussion taking place today at 1. And I'd really encourage you to, to check that out because Chances are many people in this room, you're already running into these issues in life, in your community, in your schools, your workplace. And if you haven't run into them yet, it's only a matter of time before you do. And so we need to, we need to be wise in understanding and how we interact with these things in the world around us. But let me close with this one thing. As Christians... I think our greatest challenge in interacting with this area in our culture or interacting with people who have gender identity struggles is captured in Paul's words in Ephesians 4.15. He says there, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So I think our biggest challenge is finding the right balance between speaking the truth and love. Some people can be strong on the truth, but not so great on the love part. And truth without compassion and love will simply cause you to lose any chance of being a voice in that person's life at all. 
Others can excel at love, at the love part, but do so at the expense of truth. And love without truth misrepresents and denies the hope that Jesus offers people in their struggles and often compromises with the culture. So we need to try our best to balance these two wisely and try to do so as Jesus would. And so here at Grace, I mean, we're committed to standing firm on the truth of what God says when it comes to the gender identity debate. We believe that Jesus has a better way with better promises than anything the culture has to offer. But we want to do so in a way that loves people like Jesus did as well. And we want to hold out the truth as a source of hope and life to those who struggle with gender dysphoria, not use it as a club to beat them over the head and drive them away from Jesus or the church. You see, God has people that he wants to save in the community of people who are transgender and who identify with gender identity issues. And the question is, will we be a hindrance or a means of his grace as he seeks to bring that about? See, we believe Jesus has a better way to deal with these issues, but we also want to represent his heart of care and compassion for those caught in the middle of these things. I mean, we may not have struggles in this particular area in our personal lives or in our families, but others do. And as we interact with people around these gender identity issues, let's not forget who we were and the kindness of God that reached out and saved us. I think Paul reminds us of that reality in Titus 3, verses 3 through 7. He says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's who we were. Might not have been in the issue of gender, but we had our own issues. He says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let us never lose sight of who we were and God's mercy to us. And let that heart of God that saved us by his mercy and grace be our heart as we seek to hold out the truth of scripture to others in this broken, fallen world. So let's close by standing together and singing this song.